You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Steve Cucciolato, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. We are back again for another episode of Generation X. This is episode 1B, covering a period of Generation X from 1995. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Generation X host, Gabriel Bustamantes. Before we start and get into the the meat of these issues, I, I, I want to bring up something that I meant to bring up in the last episode, but I'm going to bring it up in this one. Uh, it's the quality of the reprinting like the uh, and the restoration in this epic collection. And uh, I wanted to bring it up last time because we talked about issue number four, and I meant to talk about it then, but, you know, I forgot. So I'm going to talk about it here. Now, Generation X has had past collections. They were collected, the first dozen issues were collected in in Generation X Classic Volume 1 and 2. That's the only time Generation X had ever been collected until we got these Epic Collections now. Um, the Epic Collections are using the same files as those classic those classic volumes. And if you look at them, a couple of the issues, notably issues numbers 4, 8, 10, and 11, are very dark. They're scanned very dark, and the, the saturation looks like it's been bumped up quite a bit. So if you compare them to the actual to the original issues it's drastically different and in my opinion it looks absolutely terrible and the same thing is with the 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 four generation next age of apocalypse issues those ones are also really dark and the saturation has been bumped up so like it, it turns the the drawings to be very muddy you can't make out a lot of the details especially in generation next when a lot of the the, the scenes take place underground in the dark it just doesn't look good. And uh, you said that you looked at the omnibus and the the Age of Apocalypse issues, the Generation Next issues are the same dark, muddy uh, versions in that one as well, right? Right, that's correct. It's the same. They must have used the same files. That the, the recoloring, it's all dark and muddy. Now, I know that it's kind of standard Marvel practice to just use the same files if they already exist. They, they won't go out of their way to make new files or new restorations unless it's like Marvel Masterworks, which is like the top, the highest standards right there. So unfortunately, I think we have to live with this. And a lot of the early 90s, because it's the, the, the dawn of the digital era, and a lot of those techniques were being experimented on in the beginning, I think they were, uh, maybe they weren't saving the files or the files, just the, the output isn't to, it isn't what is needed for modern printing standards now, 25, 30 years later. 
So a lot of this early 90s or mid 90s material, when it gets reprinted in trade paperback, it has a lot of issues. I think that I think they scan the comics instead of trying to find the digital copies. And I don't know if it's because they're lost or if the saving was in, inadequate, but uh, you'll find this all the time in the, especially in the epic collections that deal with this era's material. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you uh, you shot me uh, the photograph that you that you took of the comparison. Yeah. And that's what made me go look at the omnibus. I was like, oh, the omnibus is the same dark coloring. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to ask Curtis about this because this is, you know, this is your field. This is, you know, your expertise when it comes down to anything. And I was going to ask you, like, how does it, how does that happen? <laughs> how does how does it turn into, you know, the, them going back and recoloring, you know, the original issues? They are not recoloring anything. And I think with with the masterwork stuff, it's really easy to recolor because you can easily take, well, I'm, I say easily, it's not easy easy but you can take a comic page and scan it or if you have the original art even better and you can strip away the color so you have a nice black line and then recreating the color is theoretically you know easy because it's all four colors it's four color printing they're solid colors you don't get the gradients whatever that kind of stuff so you can you can recolor quite with, with not as much difficulty as you would with the stuff that you see here in this book, um, recoloring the digital coloring from the 90s to make it look like it was colored in the 90s is a huge task because they were experimenting with things. If you like, I think everybody knows that that there's a very very specific look to how computer coloring looked in the in the mid to late 90s. It's very very specific. Yeah, it stands out. Yep, and it's very difficult to reproduce. Yeah, you'll see things like, uh, you know, Sync's aura. Yeah, that's an obvious output yeah. of the digital coloring from, from that era. Yeah, and even the way that they create sh shading and lines on people's faces uh, in order to create the depth in their faces uh, that the penciler and the inker don't include, like that's mm -hmm. all very specific to this era. And to have someone come in who is used to now the way the coloring works in t 2021, they're going to be like, oh man, this is this hard to do. Uh, so it seems to me that standard practice for reprinting this era is to scan the comic pages. And so that looks like what they've done. They've scanned the height that they've, you know, they do high quality scans, but then you still have to color correct things uh, because the scanning isn't as accurate as the actual digital file. So they're doing their best to color correct, but I think that it must be just one person who is in charge of doing Generation X number four, all the Generation Next issues and probably the few the few after that they just i don't know what happened they nudged something too high on and uh... The, the just the the saturation is is way up high. Uh, so some of these skin tones, it's most notable in the skin tones. Everett, who's supposed to be African American, he looks orange in most of these pages instead of brown. Right. So I don't know. It's not great. Anyway, that's my little rant on the restoration of these issues here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> that's what they come here for. Yep, that's right. And you know, not all of these issues look look bad. Number one, two, and three look great. Numbers uh, five and six look fine. I don't know why it's just some issues and not the others. As of this recording, Epic Collection Volume 2 is not out. And I can predict that if they don't do anything with the files, if they just use the same stuff, then, then you know, issues numbers um, 10 and 11, which are the Omega Red issues, are going to look the same as uh, as they do in Generation X Classic Volume 2. So they'll have. To, I hope that they fix that, but based on this, I don't think that they will.
Okay, I think that we should get on with our issues here. Now, I suggested that we talk about Generation Next, the four-issue series that was part of Age of Apocalypse. But they don't include them in the Epic Collection because that would take an enormous amount of context in order to include those there. Uh, so they've skipped them. And they also skipped the Weapon X issues in the Wolverine Epic Collection called The Dying Game. So this is kind of standard what they're going to do with Age of Apocalypse issues. They're just not going to put them in the epic collections. But that doesn't mean that we can't talk about them here on the podcast. Isn't that right, Gabe? That's what they came here for, Curtis. And that's what I came here for. Because yeah, those four issues are great that we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. And they do need to be mentioned. They should be a part of the epic collection. It'd be nice if they did, but I understand where they're coming from. They kind of keep it kind of condensed into the normal 616 universe stuff. Uh, I also want to mention that I will be sprinkling little interview clips throughout this episode, and I may not, uh, I may not just say Here, here's an interview clip. I'm just going to stick it in. And we have interviews from Scott Lobdell, Mark Buckingham, uh, Richard Starkings, the letterer, and Steve Bucciolato, the colorist, and they all have things to say about these early issues of Gen X. So I'll, I'll pepper those throughout so that you can enjoy those interview clips. The the full interviews are on my website, EpicMarvelPodcast.com, if you want to hear those as well. Uh, okay, Generation Next, number one. This is clean start. However, we are kind of being thrown into the middle of the situation here. Um, for those of you who have been living under a rock and don't know anything about the Age of Apocalypse, uh, Xavier's son, Legion, traveled back in time and killed Xavier before he could create the X-Men. And then all of the X-Titles, all like 10 of them or however many there were, were stopped cold in their tracks and completely rebranded as new titles. It was a marketing brilliance. I was completely impressed when I, when I first read these just at the sheer fact that they had the audacity to do this. And it's like, it worked out. Do you, you re, I'm sure you remember this too, Gabe. This was such a such a thing. No, oh, no, this is, this is great when they did this. Yeah, so no, I totally remember what you're talking about. What are your thoughts about Age of Apocalypse overall? So Age of Apocalypse overall is definitely one of the biggest events they ever tried to do. And of this massive scale of a storyline, it is, they, they stick the landing. It is a great X-Men Marvel universe related storyline it's going to be a it's a classic uh these days i would consider it so yeah i absolutely love this entire era and this entire epic line or this entire like epic event that they did with this thing it, it was massive it took over everything and the one thing i really wanted to point out about it uh back then there was no internet there was no like previews magazine yeah you didn't really get advanced solicitations so this happened and there was really no warning about it it just all of a sudden <laughs> you know x-men was gone and it, it turned into astonishing x-men and, and, and all these titles disappeared and were replaced yeah and continued on through that entire event like yeah. they, they 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 pulled the brakes on the on the 616 universe this wasn't like a side story the entire universe stopped and it was all just these age of apocalypse storylines that you had to follow and you had to keep going with it it was a marketing genius ploy like you said uh, what I love about it also is that uh, it all worked, it all fits together so intricately. And you think about the the big events that had come just before this. We have the Infinity Gauntlet trilogy, and we had Maximum Carnage and Operation Galactic Storm. Those were kind of the, the benchmarks at the time that were happening in the early 90s. And um, Maximum Carnage took over all of the spider titles, and it was one chapter that led into another. So it's like, you know, chapter one was Amazing Spider-Man. 
Spider-Man. Chapter two was Spectacular Spider-Man, and it told a linear story like that through the through the four titles. Uh, and same with Operation Galactic Storm, did the same thing. And Infinity, the Infinity Gauntlet stories had a mini series that was the kind of the the main focal point, and it had all these tie-ins throughout the Marvel universe that if you didn't read them, whatever didn't really matter. Age of Apocalypse was so different in that sense that there is no one uh, overarching miniseries like like Infinity Gauntlet, but also it wasn't a continual story chapter by chapter like Maximum Carnage. This one had each X title had its own purpose, its own focus, and they all ran concurrently for four months, not tying over into each other, but running along the same path. And then eventually all of the titles came together at the very end for X-Men Omega. So with Generation Next and also the two X-Men titles and a few others, like Magneto has brought together a bunch of mutant rebels that are going to get together and try and overthrow Apocalypse, who has taken over the world and put his mutants in charge of all of the world. And so Magneto's purpose is to gather these certain elements that have to to bring together the perfect storm of events that will stop Apocalypse. And his his goal is to travel back in time in order to stop Legion from killing Xavier. And he knows that this is the case because Bishop Bishop has traveled across the dimensions to warn Magneto that this is this is why the world is how it is. So the purpose of Generation Next is that Magneto has tasked Colossus and Shadowcat, who in this world are a couple and have a young group of mutant recruits who also want to rebel against Apocalypse. They are tasked to find Colossus's little sister who is buried deep underground in uh, in like an underground volcano where humans are used as forced slaves slave labor. And she is the key because if you know anything about Ileana Rasputin, she can open up portals to other dimensions. And so she's going to be used to take a group of people back in time to stop to stop Legion. So that's the purpose of Generation Next. And if you only read this, then you won't then then it's still a satisfying story because there's a goal and they accomplish the goal. But if you read all of the X-Men, you know, Age of Apocalypse stories, you will find out what the other goals are and how they all come together and work together in the very end and X-Men Omega. It's just a brilliant setup and it's so well executed. And it was so brave to do just to stop the main universe for so long. Yeah. With no with no notice. And that that's these are just the books that you had to get for X-Men. For Generation Next, there was actually conversation about whether or not they should include Generation X in this crossover because it had only been running for literally four issues. Like do they stop it or do they not? Oh just saying say it's a decision like do we keep it out of it and yeah. be like, just stay true to Generation X? But my thing was that we learned so much about who those characters were because of the experience in Generation X that I thought that Generation X was worth it. For Generation Next, I think that it was actually a good idea for them to include because Scott Lobdell, now free from the restrictions of these mutants who are just discovering their powers, we're now entering a world where they had unrestrained use of their powers. They could use them and they had to use them for survival since probably the moment they were born because Apocalypse has been ruling for 20 years. So all of these characters are way more advanced in their powers than we 
know them in the 616 universe. Uh, and so this gives us a look into the future of where these characters will or can eventually become, where, where their powers will eventually get to. And so knowing that, going back into the 616 universe after Age of Apocalypse, we're like, okay, now I'm really excited for these characters because I know the potential. I know where they can go. Very, very cool. This is also, uh, we talked about it last episode, but this is also our first real glimpse at Mondo as yeah, well. That's right. Who shows up later in the series. And we've gotten bits and pits, uh, little cameos and little pieces of him uh, throughout, you know, uh, issues from the last episode. But this is full on Mondo, like you said, but advanced in his powers. And he's just this really cool character that we haven't been introduced yet. And that we're going to see later at a, at a different like state. It's really interesting how they just kind of just threw him in there, took him back out, and then brought him back in later as a different character, pretty much, who was less advanced. Really interesting. But we do get a glimpse of him and his abilities in here. And he's also different. He talks like the Hulk. Like, he has yeah. that, that caveman speak, too. So really interesting. At this point, we don't even know what Mondo's powers are because the one flashback that we've seen so far in what was it, issue number three, I think he was just sitting on a beach and like yeah. we know that he's going to be on the team because he's been in these preview issues and whatnot, but we have no idea what his powers are. So then we see him in here and it's like, oh, he he's like a mountain of dirt. He can change his, his bulk and his mass and he can absorb different um, organic materials and stuff. And like, oh, he's very, very cool. <laughs> he's very, very powerful in this in this book too. Like like you say, he takes over all the material. He becomes like the material. He becomes like the wall. Yeah, right. That we'll see him do throughout these these issues, how he kind of weaves in and out of like any environment that he that he's a part of. So it's really cool to see that. And um, also for anybody who has the omnibus issue one of Generation Next, they have the, the the cover, and then if you flip over the page, they have the cover that they use in the uh, second printings, and yes. that they use for I'm assuming the uh, all the other trade paperbacks and the, the reprintings. So you get a comparison of what Curtis is talking about with the, the difference in the the coloring and how everything is way more brown looking uh, on the recoloring because yeah. you get both covers. So you get to see that comparison. So it's really cool. So kind of help you guys uh, follow along with that conversation and what he meant by it. you just see Mondo. You barely even see him on the, the, the recoloring. That's He's right. Just like this, this brown or black blob in the background. But on the actual issue, he's brown and he stands out and you see that he's dirt, you know. Mm -hmm. so. And everybody looks like they're sunburned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a great example. This is also in the trade paperbacks Alpha, Rain, and Omega. Uh, you do get that those two pages back to back as well. So you can definitely see because the, the first printing cover is how it does look actually. And then the second printing cover, those colors should be the same. The only thing that should be different with the second printing cover is that the background is faded. So, but we can see here that the colors are not the same. So yeah, good example. Okay, let's talk about this first issue here. Generation Next number one. This one's called From the Top. And in this issue, this is where we get Magneto visiting the team to give them their instruction that they need a mutant who has the ability to to uh, to teleport uh, or you know to create openings and so uh, that's where we find out that Ileana Rasputin whom we thought was dead is actually alive uh, and then that so that's their mission but the bulk of this issue is actually a training session like the, the kids practicing against each other and showing off their powers and this is where we get a good look at what could be or what could have been as well so we're met with uh, Chamber 
who never his chest didn't explode in this age of apocalypse so he actually can talk normally he can also talk psionically but he can talk because he has a mouth now he can just speak and he has this device on his chest that opens up to let the energy that's inside him out and he can direct it and focus it so i think this is a very cool way to to present this character yeah, they really do this as a. Uh, it's a really good uh, first issue because, like you said, you get intro- you get introduced to all these characters. Yeah, even, even if you've been reading the series, the, the original mainline, and you jump over here for Age of Apocalypse storyline, it's still the same characters, but like we were talking about, they're more advanced. But they did this as an introduction issue, I guess, so that people who are just reading this because of the Age of Apocalypse storyline for the first time, um, and these are coming out, so you get a complete introduction of everybody. It's really yeah. great how they set it up. That's actually a very good point because. I betcha a lot of people who didn't jump on board with Generation X at the beginning did buy this issue because it was part of the the crossover, the the big story. A lot of the X-Men fans who wanted to buy all of the tie-ins would have got this. So yeah, you're right. This is actually very important to establish these characters in this first scene. So we also get Husk, uh, who is a redhead, and her power, she's figured out how to actually morph into different materials and objects underneath her skin. Like she normally, we've only seen her husk twice i think in this series right now one was metallic and the other she turned to stone but it was still her humanoid figure but in this first opening scene she husks her hand and underneath is a sharpened blade so it's actually a completely different um shape and then in another scene a little bit later she husks her arms into acid and tries to melt colossus and like that is completely like we never see husk do that in fact in through the entire course of generation x and i think even beyond her powers never ever get to that point so this is untapped potential for future writers right here yeah and it's, a, it's a great way to get these characters introduced as being how advanced and cool they can be yeah i, I want to see more of these characters honestly like you really fall in love with the characters in this storyline. I yeah. think like you really get a great sense of who they are and their purpose and their mission. Uh, we also see skin skin. Actually, he is fairly similar to how he is in six, one, six. They don't really change him except he, he just has more confidence in himself. And then also, of course, the leaders of this team are Colossus and Shadowcat. Like I said, it's not Banshee and, and white queen. Banshee is in one of the main X-Men books and White Queen actually is in, she appears in the Weapon X miniseries. Uh, she's part of what's called the, the High Human Council. And uh, she had some experimentation on her brain, which meant that she actually had her mutant powers taken away from her. She's not telepathic in the Age of Apocalypse. So she hangs out with humans. Uh, the only other people that we are that we meet in this one is uh, a new character called Vincent, who apparently can turn into uh, a water state, either liquid or mist. And we also have a character named Know-It-All who appears on a TV screen. This is M. And uh, Everett is not in this series. Um, it's stated at the v- in the very first issue of Gambit and the Externals, uh, which Jubilee is a part of, that Everett actually died before this series began, before this story began, uh, saving Jubilee's life. I'm going to have to admit something right now, Curtis. Yep. I had no idea that Little Miss Know-It-All was M. Okay, yeah. I completely lost on that. Yeah, I, you just taught me something. So one thing that 
I want to mention is that there is a very big secret with M, with Monet, that's going to be revealed probably in volume three of the Epic Collections. And for those of you who haven't read the story yet or are just entering Generation X for the first time, I don't want to say what it is, but, but Scott Lobdell, he sprinkles hints about the secret all throughout these early issues. And this TV screen right here, the way that M is, is portrayed here is actually one of the secrets. And I want to say uh, on one of the, let's see, what is it? One two, three, four. On the fourth page, it's um, Jonathan says, using every square inch of the Colorado Timberland against me, Claudia. You're brilliant. I'm impressed. That speech right there is a clue. And I'm not going to say what the clue is, but that's a clue to the future. So <laughs> do you know what the, do you know what the clue is there, Cape? No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I will tell you after we finish recording, so that I don't spoil it for everybody else. Yeah, I had no idea that this was M. This is so. I was like, "Wow, really?" Then, like, now that you mentioned, it, I go, "Okay, now that starts to get things put together because I know about the, the secret down the road." Yeah, I was like. <laughs> And but that's the thing again. For for people who might be reading this for the first time, you know, or you know, even people who are either reading the series and jumped in for this during Age of Apocalypse, or people who are just reading this because again, it's just a, another piece of the puzzle of the Age of Apocalypse storyline. Got absolutely no connection that that was M to me whatsoever. Ah, so yeah, wow. Well, there you cool. go. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense now. It makes sense. Right. Okay, let's keep going over to issue number two. Generation Next number two is called Hither Comes the Sugar Man. I really like this cover with the, the main bad guy. His name is Quietus, and he's shooting Husk in the face. And the four covers of Generation X, uh, Generation Next actually fit together. You can line them up side by side, and it makes one big long picture. So uh, be sure to do that. I think in the omnibus, there's probably a bonus page that has them all connected. I know there is in the trade paperback version. Also, uh, if you have the omnibus, they don't put the issues together. No. It's not one, two, three, four. It's it's scattered out between its rightful spot in the storyline yeah. uh, throughout the omnibus. So you get they're not connected. So like issue one, I had to like, my omnibus has some uh, sticky notes in it marking <laughs> which issue was which so that I could follow along as we talk about this because yeah. they're not together in the storyline. And none, none of the issues are none, none of the uh, the miniseries are collected together. One, two, three, four. It's it's one issue here of Astonishing, and then that turns into uh, you know Gambit and the Externals, and then that turns into like Weapon X. And so it, it it's you can't really follow along a complete storyline uh, if yeah. you just read the omnibus from page one to to, to, to the last page. So. It's interesting how they do that in here. It's the same with the trade paperbacks. They probably have the same mapping as the Omnibus. Uh, but I, I think that's necessary because, like I said, all of this is happen happening concurrently. Mm -hmm. So if you were to read all four issues of Generation X, like by the time Generation Next ends, uh, they are poised to jump right into X-Men Omega, but then you'd have to backtrack. So uh, putting them in a, a specific reading order is actually necessary. In Weapon X, I know that you know Jean Grey starts off in that series Series with Wolverine with Logan but then she leaves and goes over to Factor X so like you'd want to have that reading order in place specifically for things like that right because it's 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 all spoilers yeah if you just read it one two three four four you know yeah, that's it'll right. spoil the other storyline for everything else because people when they were reading these they're reading it month by month so you'd read all of mm -hmm. the number one issues first because that's what came out that month and then you'd read all the number two so it's generally in that order there's a little bit of difference but it's generally in that order in the omnis because people always want to know where to start yeah. with generation x or with the age of apocalypse because 
there's so many different storylines and it's not, it's not a concurrent thing. Like you said before, it's not one, two, three, four, five. It's, it's four issues of this mini series, four issues of this mini series, four issues of this mini series. Yeah. So everybody wants to know, where do I start? So it's, it's, you don't, you got to start with issue one here, issue one, issue one, issue one. And that's how it's laid out in the omnibus. But if you just want to watch, read all four of the Generation Next issues, that's totally fine. It can stand on its own. You'll just be confused when you get to X-Men Omega because there's a lot going on in that issue. Right. And they don't really like give away much of the other miniseries storylines in this right. issue or in the storyline either. So no, they it doesn't don't. ruin the, the other, other stories at all. They don't touch them. So in this issue here, we, are, we, we find out where Ilyana is. She is in Seattle in something called The Core, where a whole bunch of humans are being kept now remember in this world humans are all enslaved the entire human race mutants are in control so the humans are used as slave labor to dig out this volcano and i don't exactly know how this works but the volcano is used to provide power for the mutants that are in charge for apocalypse's mutants Again, yeah, I don't know how that works exactly, but that's where she is. She's deep, deep underground, and she's being chased around by this creature called the Sugar Man, who, I guess, eats humans. So it's just, they set it up in the very beginning of this this issue to be a completely horrific place to live, especially if you're a young child. Uh, and so Colossus and Shadowcat have to figure out how they're going to get into this place to rescue her. So those two are off on their own thing, on their own way, trying to get in. And then meanwhile, Husk and Vin Vincent, they break into the office of the manager, the person who's in charge of the core, in order to track down which location in the core is, you know, because they are, they're all assigned to different sec- sections or whatever sectors. They, they need to find out where in the core uh, Ileana is. Um, I, I just have to say that I am constantly impressed by Chris Pacello's artwork throughout this series. These four issues are even, I don't know if I can say they're even better, but they're so good, just as good as the first four issues of Generation X. He's on fire. Yeah, he must have had a great time doing this because he used to redesign the characters again. Yes. Like, yeah. So, like, doesn't, no one does he, like, redesign his own characters and he gets to draw them at, like, you know, you know, Omega level mutant power ability. And he's the main artist and creator of the actual normal storyline. And he's now doing these advanced versions of these characters here. Yeah. So, he just let loose and redesigned them. Like, everybody looks slightly different. You know, it's a it's a complete new version of things. Uh it just it's it's a beautiful Chris Pacello book all the way through. And not just that, but it's also he's designed this underground world. So it's mm-hmm. like the the dirtiness of it, the the grittiness of it, he's he's got that down. The designs for the sugar man are just bonkers nuts. Uh, with this creature that's just basically a head with four arms sticking out of it. It's like bizarre and awesome. And then this other guy, Quietus, who I don't even know how to describe him. He, I think he kind of looks like a Muppet. <laughs> and, uh, he looks like, this is exactly what he looks like. This is how I, I see him as. Yeah. He looks like Slash from Guns N' Roses. Yes. <laughs> without the, without the, without the top hat. Just yeah. the really long, like straggly, curly hair and yep. like a big nose sticking out through the hair. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a it's a fantastic design. It's so up there with Chris Pacello and his style. And and this whole issue, there's no action. There's no action at all. Uh, they're just sneaking around. And I, I mean, I guess there's one part of piece of action where where Quietus punches 
this page, but that's it. But it's still so engaging and captivating the entire time. Uh, just a testament to not just Chris Pacello's interesting layouts and the way he, he moves the story along, but uh, but Scott De- Lobdell's words making it uh, interesting for us to read as well and learn more about these these characters as we're going through just the second issue. This whole thing is like a, a reverse uh, uh, game of death, the Bruce Lee movie, where instead of him fighting upwards and fighting bosses as he goes up levels, it's the reverse. Or in this, it's the characters entering in. It's almost like the raid also, where they kind of just go into a building and they go level by level up uh, up the levels of the stairs. And here, it's like they're going downwards. That's right. So it's the same kind of basic idea, but it's going to downward motion, going level to level, fighting different bosses, more or less, as they make their escape and go through the whole ordeal. It's really fun. As they get lower and lower, they get the stakes get higher and higher. This is the issue where you learn this world that we're in, which is just the world that these people know, this world of them just being basically ants. You know, they're just literally just digging out tunnels. Yeah. You know, underground, like like a, like, an, like you would see in an ant farm. So it, you get that idea. So you get this is the issue where they teach you how that works and kind of how the world works and the characters, how to interact, who's in charge, you know, things like that. Too. It sets the rules and it sets the stories and introduces, introduces us to the, the universe at this point that we're going to live in with the storyline. Cool. Yeah. Okay, let's keep on going over to issue number three. So for those of you who are following along in the trade paperbacks, issue one is in the volume titled Alpha, issue two is in the volume titled Rain, and then issues three and four are in the volume titled Omega. And the third issue is called It Only Hurts When I Sing. And the the very first page, we see Chamber and Skin looking through a window with bars. And I want to point out Skin's design in this picture, because here is where Chris Bocello changes Skin's look from being a guy with, with saggy cheeks, with a flat nose, to being a little bit more cartoony. He's got the, the, the chin that sticks out and a long pointy nose now. And this is kind of the design that Skin is more known for but and i don't know why he changed that but he did and it works i like it i think it's because he's supposed to have more control over his powers in the in here so he can keep himself fairly handsome looking i guess or you know his yep. skin more tight because now he can control it to the max at this point but in the very first issue he still had the old look and so right. this was definitely something that chris was like i I just like drawing him this way, I think, now. <laughs> so, yeah. Because before, he kind of looked like E.T. He just had yeah. that kind of saggy face. You yeah, know, you're right. Skin. He did look like E.T. Uh, and then you flip over, and we get this beautiful double-page spread uh, of this horrific monster with two heads who is like the slave driver controlling all of these humans as they're carrying the boulders or whatever, and they're building a tower. Um, so, so great. That's a great character. Look how cool he is. It's so cool. And again, this is this is Chris Pacello bringing in his like the kind of style you see when he does Sandman and stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's this great character design of this like three-headed like ogre, more or less, that's guarding, you know, all the slaves. And it's a throwaway character. Like, we never see it again, but this is a beautiful character. Well, we see it once in the next issue. And, uh, but I mean, yeah, you're right. Throwaway. I mean, like, sense. in the, the overall, like, Marvel Universe. Yeah, kind of style. we're never like, seeing it. a really cool character. Same with the Quietus, too. Yeah. Like, he's, what a cool looking character. And we don't, I don't think we ever see him again. Sugar Man, of course, comes over to the uh, the 616 universe. We'll see that in a little bit. But yes. um, so in this issue, we are met with um, with, a, with a problem. How do we get Ileana? We found her, but how do we get her out of where she's supposed to be? 
and they just get into kind of deeper and deeper trouble. Uh, this opening scene where the guard, the, the mutant guard with like a third eye in his forehead, he sees this girl talking to another person and they shouldn't be talking because they're humans in any way. The guy just kind of blasts the man, turns out to be the girl's father. This is a great scene because this shows us, this shows us exactly the relationship between the humans and the mutants. Uh, they are not on friendly terms, but it also shows us exactly how our heroes react to situations like this. So Chamber, he's so filled with hatred and disgust over what he just sees. And then Mondo also takes it into his own hands to basically just kill this guy that that, that killed the man. And, he, he, uh, and later on in this one issue, also, he saves a girl from falling. She's so weak that she can't even scream when she falls. And the, she says, you saved me. I thought mutants only killed people. And then Mondo says, bad mutants, yes, but Mondo is good. And like that, that right there sums up where we're at. Like it's black and, and this white. Is our, this is our first time seeing Mondo use his powers and how cool that looks too, how he manipulates the whatever he's uh he's absorbed into yeah yeah he he is the wall and causes the yeah. the great that the the that the mutant slave driver is on to just fall away so that he falls to his death yeah very cool ideas here's another thing in the previous issue page and vincent kill quietus <laughs> it's kind of a gory scene because quite um vincent or quietus drinks vincent in a liquid state and then vincent turns back into human and basically explodes quietus from inside <laughs> it's like his guts are everywhere <laughs> um but then we see quietus now in this issue except it's page pretending to be quietus i think she's husked her skin away and revealed a quietus shape underneath and i think that's like the shape-shifting ability is something that she doesn't like she doesn't fully get to do that in the 616 universe but she does it to great yeah. great effect here and then the, and then it's because it's a it's a team up between her and vincent so you also get to see vincent use his powers to expand the mass yes of them literally sitting husk is sitting on top of vincent's shoulder so it's like one of those those kind of gags where you see like two kids in an oversized coat <laughs> yeah that's basically right. what they're doing in this yeah, it's brilliant because Quietus is a big husky guy. He's got huge shoulders and such. And so, yeah, Vincent fills out that mass. It's it's very, very well done. Uh, great, great teamwork. Great thinking. Um, and we get our first glimpse of uh, Sugar Man because in, in the first issue, he is basically just in shadows terrifying the kids or in right. a previous issue. And so it's almost like a like a like a Jaws effect where you're afraid of the character, but you never get to see the character. Yeah. So here's what we get to see what he looks like with this really gnarly design that Chris Pacella put on him. And he's massive. He's just so huge. <laughs> he's carrying around like a Thor hammer, and he's got like a, a cigar in one hand. You know, it's 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 really cool design. And Very it's cool. one that they, they recently put out a toy of this character. Yeah, like a build a figure, right? Yeah, he was the build a figure of like uh, one, some wave that came out not too long ago but yeah really cool that he's still around and they're still using him and making toys of him i hope they use him in the comics more he's just got such a great a great design that how could you leave him alone for too long yeah because they still use dark beast every so often he still shows up kind of randomly like in the universe that's not cool. so much for sugar man yeah okay at the very end of this issue uh quietus who is really page and vincent uh meet up with with chamber and skin but then they get cornered by the sugar man and this is where things really come to a head because they're now deep 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 underground and uh mondo has found iliana but they don't know how to Escape. This is also we get introduced to uh, where you see Ileana working uh, a character named May. Right. And I don't know if I don't know if I'm correct about this, 
but I think that's supposed to be Aunt May in in the in the Age of Apocalypse. Really, you think so? I think that if I remember, something something it's ringing a bell to me for some reason that that is actually Aunt May. It could and be. This is her in in the in the Age of Apocalypse. Wow, that's amazing. And Peter Parker himself shows up in the the two part Age of Apocalypse miniseries called X Universe. You can see him there, but yeah, that would be really cool if that's Aunt May. That's very, that's very neat. Yeah. Okay, Generation X, Generation Next number four. It's called Bye, and Mondo has saved Ilyana and uh, is trying to get her out of there. Um, meanwhile, all of these characters are cornered by all of these mutant trolls that are underground, and they just start a big fight. This, so we've had basically no action for the three issues. This issue is all action from start to finish. It is just them trying to fight their way out and let me tell you this is very very a very sad issue it just it is it hit me hard because i mean we haven't known these characters for very long we only knew them for four issues and then it was age of apocalypse and then we've only known these versions for three issues but they get so overwhelmed by the amount of mutants that are trying to kill them underground that they can't make it out the only two people that make it out underground are colossus and shadow cat and colossus tries his best to run back and save them but it doesn't work he can't get back in time it's just absolutely heartbreaking I knew that, you know, all the series, all the miniseries had to end at a certain place, and I knew that that meant that uh, Eliana had to get back in order to be used for the final story in Age of Apocalypse Beta or whatever it's called. Yeah. Gamma or Omega or something. Omega, yeah. But everything else was kind of up in the air, and I had this girlfriend whose last name was Espinosa, who, was, who I named, uh, I actually named uh, Skin after her. Okay. Um, at least her last name. Right. And um, we broke up. It was a terrible breakup. It was the only time in my life that, well, maybe only two times in my life that I was actually sad when I broke up with somebody. And I was really, really, really sad. And when I sat down to the computer to write Generation X4, I was like, everybody dies because I was so sad. And so <laughs> that's why that ending is so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how I was feeling at wow. the time. And, you know, Wow. So that's why uh, that's why that was such a tra- tragic. And then even like the sad part with Paige looking at Colossus, like you're really going to do this. You're really going to leave us here. That was the worst. Die. Yep, that worst. She's just looking behind her as the door's closing. Holy cow! Yep. Yeah. But then, but then he goes to Kitty, and he's like, "Yeah, I tried," and she is like, "Oh," and she realizes that he didn't really try. Yeah. And you realize that. He saved his sister, but he lost the kids. But really, he lost Kitty as well in that moment. Mm-hmm. Even though you know, even though they didn't all live very much longer, we knew that that was the end of the two of them because she was never gonna never, forgive him. Yeah, and it's it's it, yeah, no, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And you could just see and you could feel the defeat that Colossus feels when those those steel doors shut for the final time, and yeah. he's unable to make it through. Yeah. This is this whole four issue storyline is basically a heist movie. Yeah, you're right. And this is this is the part where they got the the object that they need, and now they're just running for it and yeah. trying to escape. And that's what this is at this point because Mondo, again, now we get to see how his powers work. He's absorbed Ileana inside of it. Yeah, yeah, like he's created you, a cavern inside that she can be in or something. Yeah, right. 
Did you catch the uh, the the Watchmen reference? Is it the little button that's on Sugarman? He has a smiley face button. Oh no, there's a there's a wall that says who watches the Watchmen. Is that right? Where, what's the Watchmen reference? The one I'm talking about is, is page one of, of issue four, where it's yeah, it's page one. So it's that smiley face watch, but but it's it's and how it's zooming out. Ah, that's the exact way that Watchmen number one opens you're up. Right, you're right. Yeah, Sugarman also has a smiley face watch on his on his uh um whatever his his belt. Yeah, uh, and I. Th- thought that there was a scrawled on the wall in one of these issues it says who watches the watchman but that actually might be issue five or six i'll have to keep an eye out for that uh, but i think that chris Pacello was a big watchman fan it seems that way at least oh yeah it's, yeah of course who is it though yeah exactly <laughs> Um, I'm really interested in Colossus's character in this series because the Colossus that we know, especially through the Claremont era, is one who is he he is full of compassion, even though which, which is offset by his big physical appearance. It's we have that we have that contrast of big and menacing, but a gentle inside. But this Colossus, he is not gentle on the inside. And in fact, many times throughout this series, we get the impression that he he actually doesn't really care about the kids that he has in his trust. He really just cares about Shadowcat. And once he finds Ilyana, he has many comments that are like, she's the mission. I'm only going to look out for her. Everything else doesn't really matter. And the only reason he goes back and even tries to save the kids at the end is because Shadowcat was going to do that herself and he didn't want her to get hurt. Yeah, it's a really, and the character design is so much different of this as well. So yeah, he's normally shown as the gentle giant. He's the same, you know, huge gentle giant type character here. I mean, not the gentle giant side, but and then he has just a really cool like bandana over his yeah. face and the long flowing bandana like dreads off the back. Really a cool design as well. But yeah, different different character for Kitty as well. A real kind of reverse of her character as well, where she is ruthless. Yeah, in the training session in issue, in issue one, where she was slashing at Husk. Yeah. Yeah, she's got kind of these wolverine claws on one of her mm-hmm. hands, which I think alludes to maybe... I I haven't read any of the Age of Apocalypse stuff that has been written after this miniseries, but maybe she has a past with Logan, um, which would make sense based on you know her relationship with her in 616. But uh, I really feel like elements of this Shadowcat have now come out in how Shadowcat is portrayed as Kate nowadays in like the Dawn of X era of X-Men. Oh, okay. Because she has grown up more and has become more ruthless and just more I don't know more mature more mature yeah I think yeah, a lot of that grown up. we've kind of this is has turned into kind of a foreshadow of where where Kitty turns out to be these days man just uh look at all of these monsters that are in here this is like yeah I, I was just looking at that one with the zipper down his face I was like that is yeah, cool <laughs> very cool and the yeah. double page spread that happens like the fourth page into this issue where it's just like how many new character designs did Chris Pacello have to come up with in this one issue for all of the the, the creatures that are underground here. It's just wild. And I love the full bleed too on the omnibus. I mean, yeah, it's the same for the whole series, I think, with Generation Next. But they carry that over here too as well. I'm noticing that. Yeah, you do get the full bleed pages also. Yep, yep. It's quite wonderful. Yeah. Uh, okay, so after this, if you want to keep on reading uh, the, the Age of Apocalypse stuff, Shadowcat and Colossus take Ilyana to the pages of Amazing X-Men number four. And while it's not a hugely significant story, you do get to see Shadowcat and Colossus is kind of reunited with the with the rest of the team 
uh, and the rest of the team includes Blink. Blink is a very prominent character in Age of Apocalypse, even though she um, she died in those pre-Generation X issues of Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, we get so much more, so much more blinking here than we ever got in in her first appearance storyline. Yeah, and this is where I really remember her from. Like, this is the blink I think about. Like, anybody talks about blink or the character designs and stuff like that, but like this is this is where everybody kind of fell in love with that character and That's made right. her that breakout character. So there is one scene in here. This issue is written by Fabian Nicieza, who wrote um, the half of the the Phalanx Covenant issues. Uh, Rogue comes down to Colossus and Shadowcat says, Colossus, what happened? Where are your students? And Colossus says, they didn't make it. And then Blink, who's also there, says, all of them? No, all of them. I should have I should have been there with them. And then Morph right beside her says, just be glad you're still alive, Clarice. We are. It's a complete 100% role reversal of the Phalanx Covenant story, where they all survived, but Blink died. But in this one, Blink is alive, and they all died. I love that parallel. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really cool paradox how they did that. That is really neat yeah very cool uh and then from there we are we go to um x-men omega and in x-men omega we now get the results of everything so iliana has to go inside the the mcron crystal to create her portal and she can only go with destiny and bishop and these are all things that have happened in the other issues leading up to this point here. Um, the, the reason why you need to read this is because Colossus just kind of goes nuts. He senses that Ilyana is in danger because of uh, something that's going on. I think bombs are going to be dropped on the Emkron crystal. But he goes charging toward the crystal and Shadowcat steps in his path to stop him. And he thinks that she's going to phase herself. So he just plows right through her and tramples her. And she she dies and he is filled with grief. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> That's so rough. So rough. So rough. Yeah. And then Gambit nails him from behind. And so he dies too. Everybody dies. Every single character in Generation Next dies in this in this series. It is absolutely brutal. Nobody survives. And they're just such great characters too. I just wish we, we, we could get more of these characters in some one-off miniseries or something. Just... This is such yeah. a great storyline, and the characters are great. I wish we got more of the toys of these type of characters. Like, it's a great storyline overall that Age of Apocalypse, but this Generation Next stuff is just. It's such a different take, and it's so well done, too. It's so well done, and it's such a fun fun little read, too. Yeah, I mean, they bring back Age of Apocalypse every once in a while to do a new miniseries and stuff, but I don't think that the Generation Next characters are usually included. I know that Colossus and Shadowcat sometimes appear. Yeah, I've seen toys of them recently, and, you know, everybody knows the, the design of Colossus because of that, probably, too. Yeah. But never any, any Generation... There's no generation X or next anything, really. Like Yeah. We we I remember you mentioning before how how why isn't there any kind of reproduction or, or new trade paperback or epic when what was it, the twentieth anniversary that just passed? The twenty fifth anniversary, yeah. Twenty fifth two yeah. years ago. And, and it was crickets yep. of anything to do with Generation X or its characters or anything. And you know, and then we got this. This is great. But yeah, just it just there was no attention still to these wonderful characters. I I'm waiting for the moment when they realize that they should do some Marvel Legends for these guys. How cool would a Marvel Legends um chamber figure be i think that'd be awesome or m plate yeah. I, I want an m plate i would like i would take a quietus that's such a cool character i'd love to see a quietus design or even like a um maybe they could do multiple mondos where he's like a complete tree or other kind of elements that he can kind of phases into something that'd they gotta neat. do something yeah yeah 
Okay, let's hop back over to the Epic Collection now because we're going to finish off talking about the last few issues of the Epic. And we are met with an, a few excerpts from a one-shot called X-Men Prime. And this is this was published right after X-Men Omega, which wrapped up the Age of Apocalypse in order to get us back in to, uh, into the 616 world. And now it, it actually, I feel like this was a way for, for, for the Marvel marketing team to get the people who were buying all of the, the Age of Apocalypse stories to continue buying more X titles. Because if you were only buying Uncanny X-Men and then you were on board for all of the Age of Apocalypse, Marvel doesn't want you to, to just cut back down to one title. They want you to, you know, keep buying eight titles. So X-Men Prime gives us a peek at where all of the characters in the X universe are going. Uh, and so we get a few teaser pages of Generation X related stuff. One of them introduces us to the character of Marrow, a brand new character who is part of a group called the Gene Nation. And it also shows us the return of Emplate, who is um, who is meeting up with a, a character, a new character named Gail Edgerton, who is in a wheelchair. We're going to see her in Volume Two of the Epic Collection. And uh, oh, and there's also a page of Marrow meeting up with the Dark Beast. Is this? A, I don't think this is the first appearance of Marrow. It's not. No, because she was she was in she was in when Joe Joe Madero was was doing X Men. Or am I wrong? I'm sorry. Am I wrong? When did she, well, she we see Mara. We see Marrow in the Joe Mad issues of X Men, but after her appearance here in Generation X. That's after here. Okay. So I, I'm pretty sure this is her first appearance. She's such a cool Morlock who could just pull bones out of her body. Oh man, and it's creepy. There's sometimes it's like just like she pulls a bone out of her head and it's, you know the blood comes out or whatever. Um, the thing to remember about Dark Beast here is this is the beast from the Age of Apocalypse. Um, he has been living in this world now in secret for 20 years because, you know, everybody who went through the Emkron Crystal went back when Xavier was going to be killed 20 years ago. So that is when Beast and Sugar Man and um, not X-Man for some reason. I don't know why that, but um, but yeah, so he's been living here. He makes allusions to the fact that he has a history with the White Queen from the past 20 years or whatever. We're going to find out about that in the uh, in the flashback issue, minus one flashback issue, which I think will be in volume three. Uh, but that's that's where we're at now. We can get back to Generation X issue number five. This one's called Don't Touch That Dial. I just love this splash page right here with Richard Starkings, how he's he has this this mood with all of the lettering and the fancy backgrounds or whatever uh, that he the way that he has created the the visual language of his text throughout Generation X is just fantastic. And I love that that this opening page. Yeah, I love the way how he stacks the click, click, click 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 on top of one another it's really cool how that just kind of yeah. borders that image it's yeah it's very cool and it shows without showing chamber moving his thumb up and down it shows exactly what he's doing like i i do that with my remote control too it's like click click, click. <laughs> <laughs> um you turn over the page here before i get to describing the plot of this issue turn over the page and we see one scene where uh beavis and butthead are on the tv and for people who weren't uh, part of the the mid '90s, like Beavis and Butthead were huge. They were absolutely huge. And I think a movie was coming out probably about a year after this issue came out. But Marvel also produced a Beavis and Butthead comic book. Did you ever see those issues, Gabe? Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of those books when they were coming out. I remember just yeah, you're right though. Uh, Beavis and Butthead were the hugest things in, in in on TV at this time. Did you ever watch the TV show? Oh, I loved the TV show. 
I watched it religiously. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and do you remember the they would always have a music video in each episode and Beavis and Butthead would talk over the music video and make their silly comments. It was like a mystery science theater 3000 kind of style. But they were, they were real music videos because Beavis and Butthead was an MTV show. Um, but in the comic book, they did kind of a similar thing where they took comic book pages and then Beavis and Butthead would talk over top of the comic book pages and say their, their stupid rude comments over top of them. <laughs> and one of the pages was Generation X number one. They actually did, uh, I think it was in issue number, Beavis and Butthead number nine, where they did their silly commentary to a page of uh, Generation X. And I loved it. I thought that was great. That's hilarious. I, want, I, I need to find that issue now that is so cool in this issue, the kids travel to New York to meet up with the White Queen, who is apparently picking up something. Uh, and while they are there, M has one of her, her moments where she kind of goes into a catatonic state and cannot be moved or, or anything. Um, while they are there, the, the kids uh, being Jubilee, Sink, and Skin, they are attacked by a, a very horrific-looking mutant called Hemingway. And they find out that Hemingway has a small mutant kid named Artie. Uh, who he's kidnapped. Um, this is a great reintroduction back into the 616 universe. I feel like they, again, just like Generation Next and Number One, they kind of go out of their way to reintroduce us to these characters after having not seen them for four months. So we get this opening scene where we are introduced to not their powers, but their personalities. They're just kind of milling around New York. They bump into the thing at one point, but we get to find out kind of how they interact with each other. Um, I think it's really well written by Scott Lobdell to show us the unique individual voices of all these characters. And then we even get a little bit of a tease about Skin's past, a character who Skin knows from Los Angeles, uh, sees him on the street, and some very cryptic, cryptic comments from Skin. He, he threatens this guy and he says, as far as anybody knows, I'm still dead, especially Torre. You got a problem with that? So it's like, oh, everyone thinks he's dead back home, hey? And who's this Torre? I wonder if we're going to figure out who they are so the, 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 that all comes up later on in the story very gangster movie like too totally it's great yeah uh we also have a, a scene where sean is trying to con is trying to communicate with penance by speaking different languages and penance is not responsive to any of the languages that he's speaking now one of the things that i want to say is that penance scott labdell's original uh, original concept for penance is very very different from what she actually ends up being after Lobdell leaves the book because other writers take her in a completely different direction. But Penance, and you can get a hint of this from some of the collector previews and the bonus material in the back, she's actually Yugoslavian and her name is Yvette. Okay, yeah, ultimately the story was going to be that, I want to say Yvette, Yvette, was that her name? I don't remember. That's uh, the name in the collector's preview, but I don't know that it was ever used in the series. Okay, so Yvette was a Yugoslavian war orphan. Okay. And the idea is that she was deaf, and because she was deaf, there's that scene in the beginning of uh, Generations where, um, I think it was the second issue where, or maybe third issue, where uh, Jubilee is trying all these different languages on her, and she won't respond to any of them. Right. And so it's like, well, where's she from? Where's she from? And it turns out she's deaf. And even when... Uh, what's her name? Uh, Emma goes into her head. She can't figure it out because she doesn't have a frame of reference. She doesn't have any. She doesn't understand language. So, oh yeah, Emma didn't realize it at the time. But what that meant was, you know, Emma just couldn't figure out like what the fuck is going on inside this person's head. But really, what it was is that she had no basis for 
you know, being able to communicate. So the idea of words meant nothing to her. So, you know, and so identifying things by words meant nothing to her because she didn't even have this concept of like, oh, that is a chair or that is a, you know, whatever the word for chair is in Yugoslavia. Wow. And so that was, and also like, you know, the idea of that her power we were going to find out was kind of like a, the mutant equivalent of a porcupine in the sense that she didn't quite understand the world, so she needed to keep the world at a distance, and that's why she had all those, uh, that's why her power was such that if you touched her, you would slice your hand off or something. Mm. And Scott Lobdell's original concept is that she is actually a Yugoslavian uh, war orphan, and she's deaf, and that's why she doesn't talk, and that's why Sean is trying to communicate in different languages, but she's not responsive, is literally because she can't hear. But that never comes up in the future. It's that that's a concept that never comes into play. I feel like Chris Bicello really uh, went all out in the artwork again here. He's got so many pages that are like, this is a brilliant, brilliant page. One of them is with the car that has been smashed. Yeah, that's a great one. I love the one uh, as we were going through talking about Penance, the one where she's on top of the, the refrigerator. Yes. I think it's just a, a really cool just introduction kind of uh, image of her. Yeah. Really cool design. A, a very cool design. And you, you, you can see the beauty in her character. Mm-hmm. And that is offset by the spiky of her fingers and her hair it's very nice i like it it's got kind of this edward scissorhands kind of quality to her design as well with all the leather straps and the point the sharpness yeah. of her of her hands yeah with all the belts and all that yeah really cool design then you go a couple pages later and you see this picture of Paige on a pool table another beautiful page there uh and yeah. uh, uh and then another one of skin and sink using their powers as they're busting out of this elevator like there's so many great splash pages just kind of in this one issue more 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 great uh, character designs too with some of the beasts and demons that we see in this one as well yeah that Hemingway design with that huge huge arms like I don't know how he stands up straight but it'd be hard to make a toy of him <laughs> and again you see some really cool Richard Starkin uh, lettering too or that, that splash page with the sink and jubilee and she's like we're Generation X and Generation X it's, it's written in the font of the uh, the title oh that reminds me this is we we now have a new title yeah the logo on the front cover has changed it's changed from the logo we see on the cover of the epic collection to this one that is more stylized up and down richard starkings actually has uh, something to say about why he changed the logo and i think it's a very it's a very neat clip from the interview who created the generation x logo the first one the very first one was todd klein todd klein yeah and then you did the, the uh, later one they that came apart after, like issues six or seven? No disrespect to Todd. I thought that the first Generation X logo was uh, illegible. It um, was because it's tall and skinny. It was a little hard to read. Yes. And, and what I did to make it legible was we used um, smaller E's, smaller vowels, because the great thing about Generation X, it's uh, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, oh, vowel. Yeah. Consonant, vowel, vowel, consonant, X. Right. So if you look at it, I made E-E-A-I-O small. Yeah. And G-N-R-T-N-X big. Right. So it, it gives the eye some space to breathe. Mm-hmm. Plus, I had this whole look that I wanted in the book. Right. You have the Intel inside circle yeah. in the logo yeah. now. Yeah. So I actually petitioned... Bob to drop the, lo- the logo they launched with, which of course was prepared long before we got 
hired. Right. But that logo actually ended up on the TV movie that Fox made, I think. Right. But but I really think that we successfully branded Generation X. And we were putting together the covers at the time uh, later on. So you'll see that on the first few issues, the co- the logo isn't stretched and it's easier to read. Mm-hmm. On later issues, they started stretching it and it, it it tormented me. Right. I think the last cover we put together was for the 25th issue. And I consciously went back to the shorter logo, which I find more legible. It's very neon like with how like the lines connect to each letter just a little bit. It's oh, very yeah. neon looking. Like yeah, that's, neon right. that's a good call. Uh, okay, next issue. Issue number six. This one's called Notes from the Underground. White Queen has apparently been captured, and this happened off screen. We, we don't know anything about that. Uh, and then the, the kids who are following Hemingway track her down and save her. Uh, there's a subplot with, with um, Chamber and Husk. We did, actually didn't mention that in the last one. Husk has been drinking. And this is where we get the the teenage kind of real life coming in. In X-Men Prime, we found that the legacy virus is back and, and Moira McTaggart is dying from the legacy virus. And Husk, she's having kind of an existential crisis. She thinks, why am I bothering to doing all of the, Why am I bothering doing all of the studying or, try, or training or trying to be a better person if the legacy virus is just going to kill us all. So she has some things to work out with Chamber, uh, with Chamber helping her out. It's a, it's a pretty topical for today yep. with, with, you know, the world going on these days. So yeah, true. very interesting to see how that worked back then as well. Uh, in the page where, in the double page spread where Emma is kind of all tied up, um, yeah, at one point she she says, the people in the disco, before Leech canceled my psi powers, I saw this, their slaughter in your minds. So that happened in the pages of Uncanny X-Men uh, number 322, where they meet more members of the Gene Nation. And I guess the concept here is that the Dark Beast, over the last 20 years while he's been in hiding, has been experimenting on Morlocks to make them more powerful and more horrific or whatever. And Marrow and Hemingway are results of those experiments. And they've created a new branch of the Morlocks called the Gene Nation, and they're they're going to wipe out all humans and all all good looking mutants and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like the uh, the, the extremist uh, offshoot of the uh, the Morlocks. That's right. So the interesting yeah. thing about the way it works here in Generation X is that we don't get a conclusion to that story. We're met with these characters. They they beat up Generation X and then they go away and we never talk about them again throughout the rest of Generation X. The sto- the Gene Nation story is wrapped up in Uncanny X Men three twenty five, which actually also has um, a cameo appearance from Generation X. They play baseball with the X Men. Um, they don't have a hand in actually finishing up the the Gene Nation story, so I see why they didn't include that issue in this collection. But uh, but it's there for all you Generation X completists like myself. <laughs> it, it it all matters. It all matters. That's right. You know that Wolverine cameo in this issue which is great to see because, of course, this is the first time that we get to see sort of the reaction of Wolverine uh, seeing Jubilee going off and kind of doing her own thing apart from the X-Men because 
since Jubilee debuted in the late 80s, they've kind of been a thing, a, a team, a partnership, and now they have to go their separate ways. That's a very uh, father-daughter kind of type relationship they had for a while. Yeah. For a very long time. Very much a part of the characters at this point. And this is a good conversation. I like this conversation between two of them here, and we get a little bit more of that coming up in a Wolverine issue that is included in this collection as yeah, well. Yeah, that Wolverine issue is really great. And what's interesting here is this is, gives you a little bit of a timeline where this is uh, after Wolverine had the adamantium stripped from his bones so he's right. kind of in a he's in that form uh not the no nose form quite yet but it's the uh it's still the more kind of uh, feral uh, version of him as he's uh, his uh, mutant powers, his uh, healing ability starts going out of whack. So he starts getting a little more uh, scarier looking. So you can see that here too, but he kind of, he kind of shapes up. So at the very end of this issue, there is an explosion in one of the dormitories. We don't find out why it is. And Scott Lobdell kind of, kind of jumps around the issue because once we get into issue number seven, he just mentions that there was an explosion in the dormitory and he doesn't, they don't really ever really address it. They address it a little bit. That's right. But it's like, why did we have a cliffhanger with an explosion if we're not going to like really deal with the aftermath or even or even talk about why it happened? There's one scene in issue number seven here where Chamber and Paige talk and we find out just through their talking that the explosion is a result that Paige tried to kiss Chamber. And I guess I don't know if it's an allusion to like getting sexually aroused that he got it. He exploded. But uh, I think that's probably a little bit of what it is. Yeah, this is. Yeah. Uh, and then that. Yeah, that's because that's the storyline where they started talking where we introduce to their relationship and how but she's drunk right she's drunk at that part that's when we start seeing she's throwing up in the bathtub so and then they, they had that discussion that you're talking about in this issue as well that kind of brings up what's going on with her and uh, her her attitude towards her her place on the team and everything yeah I also like how they like on, on the on the covers when they reprint the covers for this. They have the issue number hats to be. They blacked out the uh, what would be where the barcode would be located with the yep. black box and a number because the, for whatever reason Marvel at the time they didn't print the actual issue number on the cover or as a part of the artwork or anything like that. It was hidden basically in that uh, barcode box yeah in the bottom there I don't know why they did that they did that for quite a while yeah it's impossible if, if you're if you're back issue diving and you're flipping through that box of comics and you're looking for generation X you know number eight it's impossible to find if you're just flipping through because you have to pull it out yeah and find that barcode <laughs> and, and right. then decipher the coding of what issue number this is well this one's number seven and it's called Knights mm -hmm. and bolts. And we have a guest penciler, Roger Cruz. And this part of this this part of Generation X history is notorious because Chris Picello had left because Chris had to go back to work for DC, who was doing a follow-up miniseries to the Death Limited series that Chris was the artist for before Generation X. And so Chris was just saying, you know, I'll be gone for four months and I'll come right back. But there ended up being delays, and he was actually ended up being gone for over a year. He doesn't come back till issue seventeen. Yeah, you really miss him in this too. It's a real uh, left turn, art, art style-wise. It really is. Uh, Roger Cruz is such a cheesecake artist compared to Chris Picello. Um, all of those kind of sensibilities of being a little bit more normal and down to earth are thrown right out the window with Roger Cruz. You see the you know, like the st the scantily clad white queen with her body that's like contorted in weird ways and. She drops her towel in front of Sean and, you know, um, Jubilee herself, who's supposed to be 13 and a half, like this workout gear that she's in, the spandex and stuff makes her look like she's 18. <laughs> it's like, yeah. 
Roger Cruz is not paying attention. Yeah, and it's just a, an odd dis- art style and and the idea that it's the storyline of it's, it's Sean having a a dream, a fantasy about White Queen. Yeah, okay. her. <laughs> yeah. it's very odd. This whole issue is kind of a transition between stories. Mm-hmm. It gets us from the Gene Nation story that we just experiences and sets up what's going to happen with the with the, the team's going to travel to Ireland in a second here. But uh, we get a couple of hints about Sean's past because he was an Interpol agent before he was on the X-Men. So he's having some flashback scenes and uh, we don't know anything about that, but that story will be told in future issues. What it is, is uh, that Sean Cassidy and White Queen, is their, their living arrangements have changed because of circumstances and they're invading each other's dreams right so we're getting some more of that kind of back and forth with their relationship here as well too that's true we really do get to see how they work together come out in some of the dialogue here uh, and that's going to be shown as they team up through the next couple of issues as well um the scene where uh where white queen invades uh, Sean's space is actually in the Generation X live action movie when she invades his dreams. Uh, (laughs) It's one of the direct references to the comics. They're the few direct references to the comics that that movie actually makes. So there's another little hint about the secret, M's secret. We, t- uh, we see it here when Jubilee is trying to rip away uh, something that M is reading, and we find out that it's like some coloring pages from her childhood. That's a little clue right there. Yep. Not going to say what the clue is. It's just a clue. Nope. There's, there's <laughs> some stuff going on that, that really happens in the uh, the next volume that we're going to need to uh, discuss when that shows up too. But again, you really get to see uh, the the style choices of how you know these characters are dressed. You know, It looks like M is just in a uh, button-up t-shirt or a button-up shirt. Yeah, they're all kind of in oversized shirts. Yeah. (laughs) There's an interesting scene here later on where M confronts Gateway and she says, how much longer do we have to stay here with these children? Why can't you train me uh, in my powers, mentor? She calls him mentor. And I don't know that we've had any clue about that before, that they have a past, a history. Um, And then it's really not brought up again either. I don't think, I don't recall. They kind of just dropped that story. Yeah, they never go back to the uh, the idea of Gateway and their relationship together yeah. at all. Okay, at the very end of this issue, we find out that, uh, you know, Sean gets a phone call and he finds out that his castle, his family castle back in Ireland has just disappeared. So they're going to have to figure that out. An entire castle just up and disappeared. Yeah, that sounds like a good comic book story for you. Yep, there you go. <laughs> but before we do that... Uh, Wolverine number 94 is inserted here in in this spot in the epic collection and it kind of has to be in this spot because uh, the next issue makes a reference to this issue so it has to come before yeah so there's an entire Wolverine issue that just takes place just as they're there they know they need to leave for Ireland they go through this little adventure and then they leave for Ireland that's right so there's a little text box (laughs) yeah there's a little text box that says uh it says Wolverine 94 occurs during the brief period of, of, of time between Generation X 7 and 8, where Banshee and the White Queen uh, make preparations to fly to Ireland with the students. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting because this is one of the few times that Generation X gets kind of peppered into a, a different title. They usually stay within their own their own lane for the most part. Yeah, and they'll make a cameo appearance 
like I said, that they were playing baseball with the X-Men in that other issue. But yeah, they are the primary focus of this issue here. And I think mm -hmm. it's to, uh, well, I, I'm sure it's to help sell the title because lots of people were buying Wolverine at this time. And, uh, yeah. you know, let's let's give a little taste of X-Men. But it's this is important for Generation X because this is, other than issue number one, this is the first time we've seen them in a training session where we've seen them as actual students. Yeah, and they are being trained at by Wolverine. Yeah, right? and then this this fits perfectly with the uh, with the epic collection in here because other than these first couple of pages with the cyber uh, storyline that that doesn't interact with anything else in this issue, this could have just been the next issue of Generation X. It really could. It's yeah. written by Larry Hama, who will go on to actually write uh, Generation X for a, a couple of years, and in this issue. Wolverine, they're in the Danger Grotto, which is their their terrarium where they do their training. Wolverine senses that there's something wrong in there. We find out that there's like a spirit. Sean calls it um, a wraith of death. It's called a token. And Wolverine has to kind of scare it away or something like that. And at one point, um, at one point, I can't remember who it is. I think um, Sean calls calls Wolverine a puka, and I they don't oh, really yeah. explain that of what that means. But Wolverine's the puka who has to get rid of this token. It's such a random issue, and it kind of doesn't really make sense at all. Um, but it's just there. But Larry Hama will actually bring the concepts of the puka and the token back into Generation X when he ends up writing the title a few years down the road. It's a good story, though. I, I like the story a lot. I think it's really kind of fun just to see them kind of get uh, trained by Wolverine and it gets interrupted, of course, by, you know, this spirit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice tight storyline. Just the one issue little book here. And then you get right back into the next issue of Generation X. Yeah, a nice tight story is right. I mean, it doesn't, there are mm -hmm. a few things that, about the token that just don't make sense, but it's a great character piece. Um, I think Hama writes the characters all well and it's just a nice chance for for jubilee and wolverine to 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 have another moment and i think what this does also is gives validity to jubilee because up until this point she's been like when i was with the x-men and the kids are all like yeah 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 when you were with the x-men but hearing for them to hear wolverine speak to jubilee with respect like that gives jubilee a lot more credibility in their eyes yeah because the whole time she's been talking about me and Wolverine, me and Wolverine. And yeah, she's, everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they're it like, oh, this is the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> you do know him. Okay, issue number eight. Whatever happened to Cassidy Keat? Here we are in England looking at a big hole in the ground. The uh, the team, some of the team members like Everett and Jonathan get sucked into this mist and like they don't really know what happened. They get sucked into another dimension and the rest of the team has to follow and they find themselves in a world of fairies and elves and dwarfs. And apparently there is a giant machine that is broken and it is slowly killing their world. So they're the, the, the leader of the of these people who is a fairy is asking the, the kids if they see if they can fix the machine. And the one who's most suited for that task is of course M, whom we saw build a gun out of her bio clothing in the Phalanx Covenant. So they put her to work. Yeah, still establishing how how intelligent she is, and some more uh, some more kind of uh, secrets about her, kind of you know, yep. more clues about it popping in here too. Uh, this also has a foreshadow to Omega Red story that's coming up. Um, this is this artwork is also by Roger Cruz, and I think I like this issue better than the last issue. 
probably mainly because he has he just stays on track a little bit more he's not so out there with the cheesecake he has more action to draw this time around that's right and then we get our second tease about mondo in this issue as well uh interesting thing in this tease is that we knew cordelia's name from the previous tease but in this one we find out her name is cordelia frost so what is the relation to white queen if any we don't know we don't know um, when this issue came out, I remember thinking, what the heck? This is unlike anything we've seen in Generation X already. Like fantasies, elves, it's all bright colors and fairies and stuff. I was like, I, I wasn't really on board with this story. It's definitely a change of pace compared to like your normal kind of superhero story that we've been getting with, you know, the rest of the issues. I mean, we just came out of a Wolverine story and now we're dealing with, you know, fairies and elves and, and mystical machines that power fairy lands. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a big change of pace. It's so big. It, and it, it seemed to me, it seems so out of place that uh, because up to this point, I was like, Generation X was so grounded in reality to a certain extent, reality, right? It's like they never went to right. outer space. They never went another dimension they stayed fairly close to home and now we're not only in another uh universe but it's a universe that's filled with you know essentially cartoon characters and that just seemed so off but you know i think some roger cruz's artwork does that too because it makes it really you see here where i agree with you how this is really kind of off pace and offbeat and it's usually they're grounded and this is fairies and dragons and it just feels silly yeah that, that comes across it really feels silly there's a part where there's the elf uh woman opens up uh that scroll and they're all staring at it and like oh and they got the really animated like you know kitty kind of cartoony eyes and surprised look in their face so it, it's just a real change of pace from the rest of the series for the most part where we get this divergent i suspect though that had chris Bicello been the the artist on it i wouldn't have questioned it as much because he just his style being more whimsical as it is anyway mm -hmm. i i think i think i wouldn't have had a problem with it if you it know what i more mean with him. yeah because yeah. like i would really and i think his his character design we probably would have seen some really really different looking elves and characters and other creatures yeah in this in this uh fairyland and that machine probably would have gotten a nice you know crazy design chris chris style's uh machine so or you can see a Chris Cello dragon. That would have been great. Oh, man. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> that would have been great at this point. Okay, the last issue in this book that we're going to talk about today is issue number nine. And it's called Someplace Other Than Here. And now we have a new guest penciler, Tom Grummet, whom I'm most familiar with his work on uh, Superboy around the death of Superman era. Yep. Uh, I actually really like Tom Grumman. I think he's an excellent, excellent uh, artist and storyteller. I really like his work. And while I, again, at the time, wasn't so impressed because I really wanted Chris Pacello back, I, I look on, back on this stuff and realize that, you know, he actually did a pretty good book. And, and he's used to teen stories. He's done a lot of work on teen books over the years. So he had a really good feel, I think, for these characters uh, as we go. Because he, he's going to do, I don't know, maybe six or seven issues while we're waiting for Chris Pacello to come back. Yeah. 
So in this issue, there's two stories here. One is the fixing of the machine while while Skin tries to keep a dragon from entering and gumming things up. And then there's this other part where um, Banshee and White Queen are looking for the children. You know what I find interesting about this too, Curtis? Yeah, what is that? Is uh, How old is Skin supposed to be in this? He's supposed to be, they're all like really young teenagers, right? Yeah. And if you see him smoking cigarettes here with the dragon? Right, yeah. So uh, kind of a, a piece of the time that we had back then, I mean, Marvel Comics was still showing characters smoking. That's right. Heroes, especially heroes smoking. Um, Underage heroes in here as well. Yeah, very good point. <laughs> yeah, and I think that also just shows it's a it's a easy way to show that he has had a life on the other side of the tracks. Like, oh man, he's smoking yeah. a cigarette. He must be, you know. <laughs> he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's from the streets. This is the issue, I think, where we really get a good sense of Sean and Emma's relationship. There's so much just bickering going on here that it's it's quite funny, actually, uh, just seeing them go at it and uh, and not agree on things and trying to work together and stepping on each other's toes. But it works. It's quite good. Um, and then Chamber has the save the day moment where they need someone to power the, the big contraption. And so Chamber just goes in there and lets loose. <laughs> and uh, and powers the whole thing. And um, Banshee has a couple of good lines here about that. He thinks to himself, just how much power does this lad have at his disposal? And for that matter, how can we be sure that he's not done as much damage to this poor body as he's likely to do? So I think that's, that Scott Lobdell was trying to hint at, at the fact that uh, the more Chamber uses his body, the more deformed he's going to get or the more it eats away at him. But that never really happens. Uh, that once Scott once Scott Lobdell leaves the book, they never wrap that up or or continue that way of thinking. It'd be nice to have seen. Yeah, and that happens a lot with this. A lot of Scott Lobdell stuff gets gets uh, sidetracked when he leaves. Like all a lot of the little character stuff that he plugs in. Yep, uh, takes a different pace when uh, when that when the new writer comes on. It does. M makes another little cryptic remark at the end of the, on the last page of this issue. She says, "For reasons I can't explain just now, I hold very high standards for myself." So, what are those reasons that she can't explain right now? We'll find that out later, much much later. Her and Emma have a nice moment there too. It's true. Yeah, we haven't really seen those two interact at all, so it's good to uh, to see them. And I feel like they are sort of intellectual rivals in a sense. Like I almost think, definitely. Yeah, and so yeah, to see them kind of you know put that aside to have a moment is really good character building there. Yeah. Up until this point, we've just been seeing them kind of uh, one up one one another in a very uh, uh, different ways of insults. Right. Yes. One another back and forth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so th those are all of our issues that we'll talk about in this one. And uh, next time we get together is when the Volume 2 Epic Collection is released, and we'll continue on with the story. But, man, there are a lot of bonus pages in the back of this book, aren't there? This is great. This is the reason to own the uh, the Epic Collection, I think, above anything else. Because we didn't get a lot of the stuff. Uh, Marvel didn't do a lot of this kind of stuff. I don't see this a lot. I see this a lot in the Epic Collection. That's what I like about them. It's because we get a lot of things like this. But this is a, a big chunk of the back half of this uh, uh, Epic Collection. But yeah. it's great. It's everything in here. One of it is uh, it, they reprinted the entire Generation X collection 
director's preview, which is probably yeah. about 50 or 60 pages of just, it was a huge promo piece for Generation X before it came out. So there's tons of information from the creators, interviews with the creators, character designs, specs about everything. And then they even reprinted the stuff that doesn't relate to Generation X. Like there's there's a um, an, an X-Men animated series season two episode guide in here or season three mm-hmm. episode guide. And there's a little article about how they make the toys and lots of cool stuff. I mean, it's it's great to have. It doesn't all relate to Generation X, but they put it all in here because it was originally part of that collector's preview. Yeah, I mean, some of the great stuff in here that you do get though is the uh, there's like a uh, a character sheet that gives you the breakdown of each of the Generation X characters. You get like their yep. age. You get all the kind of little like their what you know. It's just called things on here called lesson plan. You get you know. It's like almost like the the trading cards where this is their their little bit of their stats and yeah. stuff like that. So you get some really cool information about. And that's all I was saying with skin. Skin's 15. So they showed this the, the tough kid, 15-year-old smoking cigarettes because he's a tough kid. That's right. But there's a lot of cool stuff in here. And also a lot of Mondo stuff in here too. I mean, we keep talking about Mondo. Or I keep bringing him up because he's such a cool character and he's not ever in this epic collection. Yeah. But you could see some of these original character designs or like covers that Chris Bahalo was doing in here. You can see it. They, they reprint a lot of great stuff. Where Mondo is like front and center in a lot of that stuff. So it's like they really wanted a spotlight for for Mondo. And you get cool stuff in here also. A lot of cool stuff. I like that you get a a, a hand signature of uh, Charles Xavier in here <laughs> right. with the course guy. I'm like, I wonder who signed that. <laughs> who was yeah, the no intern? Or was it the writer? Like, who, who forged <laughs> Professor X's signature? And then we also get what was called the 75 cent Ashcan edition, which was a smaller size. It's printed larger, it's printed full comic book size in this, but it was a small mini comic basically, which was used as an advertising thing. Marvel did that a lot in the mid 90s is they had these Ashcan editions, which were just black and white promo pieces that they would use. Um, I think it was to to be a placeholder for for copyright purposes or something like that before the actual title exactly. launched. Yeah, it was like a, a proof of life. Proof of life, yeah. Is what, is what these things were. They were to show that, yeah, the concepts is alive and it, it, we're actually going to do it. And then, you know, a lot of times it's like the first issue. Uh, it's just like a, t- a test out for the paper and things like that. It's really cool. I like Ashcans. I collect them sometimes. I, I have a couple of Ashcans of different series. And okay. uh, I got to go find this one because this one's really cool too. Yeah. So I'm on a hunt for this. Well, this one just has Sean giving little statements about his thoughts about all of the members of the team. And here we see Penance is listed her her nationality is yugoslavia um it doesn't say anything about about her her past or anything like that but the one thing i want to point out here is that in the the thing about m it says there there be a mystery about the wee lass called m she's strong enough to wrestle juggernaut to the ground and smart enough to edit one of the professor's doctoral thesis theses but there are other moments, moments I'm not prepared to handle, when her temper tantrums seem to betray a hidden and lost childhood. Lord help the team if I can't help her. So there's another little hint for you about her secret. And that was published before the series even started. So Scott Lobdell had a big plan from the very beginning. Yeah. And I love the uh, the Xerox scans of uh, Christopher Hollow's pencils. You're yes. really going to see how those things look. Yeah. Okay, well, there we go. That's the whole epic collection. That's this is a packed packed volume. It's so 
full, like completely full. Um, probably, yeah, there's there's over 500 pages, I think, in this one. So you get a good bang for your buck. Great comics, great stories. Uh, I know that I am probably uh, clouded with nostalgia, and that's maybe clouding some of my judgment, but I think that this book is really good. I think the people who want to try it out and pick it up will have a really good time with it. And also, this is the uh, the first time a lot of this material has been collected together, too. Yeah, I mean, we had the... We had the um, actually, for this volume, all of it has appeared in the Generation X Classic Volume 1 and 2. And of course, Phalanx Covenant has been reprinted. So we actually have to wait till Volume 2 to get material that hasn't been reprinted before. Ah, okay. That's one thing I'm, that's what I'm enjoying about these epic collections for Generation X is, you know, they, they, you never you can't find them anywhere. Yeah, it's you true. Know? Yep. You, know, you, could, you could back as you hunt for them and things like that, but if you're not a single person uh, and you just went to read them in trades, yeah, uh, Volume 2 be the first time that all that stuff comes out. And we get more, we get some reveals about M. So... I'm looking forward to volume two. And honestly, people just now that Generation X is many years behind us, people don't really care about this series. So I'm guessing that this may be the only real time that Generation X is going to get a proper reprint. I think that maybe we'll see a few story arcs or issues appear here and there, but we'll never get a front to back reprinting of Generation X in omnibus form. I, I doubt. I can't imagine. I mean, unless some miracle happens and they do, uh, they put the Generation X characters in the market. Marvel uh, MCU. Yeah, yep. start seeing the major stuff coming out. That, yep. that, that's what it would take. That's what it would take for like an omnibus of this to be to be created. So, or I could see like you know the Marvel Universe by Chris Pacello and collecting all of his his work. Like some of those issues would appear in there and that kind of thing. But this is I'm glad we have these because uh, this is this is a series I think that's you know worth collecting. I mean it's all everything's worth collecting for posterity. It's all part of history. Right. Yeah, it's all archival. But this is also one of those uh, uh just one of those classic titles, you know, that yeah. nobody really talks about but is really really underrated. Yeah. Incredibly underrated. So. Yeah, and and it made a huge splash at the time, and it's a it's a, a slice of the '90s. Like this is a good time capsule of comics from the '90s of what things were like, of the sensibilities of comic creators, and yeah, it's it's well worth it. Okay, Gabe, uh, we're gonna sign off here. Can you tell people where can they find you online? Yeah, you guys can find me. So feel free hit me up on Instagram. Uh, it's going to be Ninja Comics because uh, ninjas make everything better. True. Uh, so that's that's my handle for Instagram. I also sell a lot of comic books on Whatnot, uh, which is an app that does live auctions for, for comic books. So I do a lot of selling on there as well. So you guys can always find me there. Uh, Whatnot also as a Ninja Comics. So. Nice. Perfect. Okay, well, there we go. That's Generation X number one. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on, Curtis. It was so much fun. Anytime. Yeah.